Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Roger Shannon, Assistant General Manager with the Acadie Bathurst T10 and President and Governor with the Fredericton Red Wings. An experienced QMJHL executive, Roger has a wealth of experience and has even more knowledge in the area of building teams. Open to sharing stories and ideas, he provides a ton of great info on the process of building his programs, including his long tenure with the powerhouse UMB Reds. With that, I am happy to present Roger Shannon, Assistant General Manager with the Acadie Bathurst T10 and President and Governor with the Fredericton Redwoods. Just like in hockey, in basketball it's playoff time, and every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes, and DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app, Go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Roger Shannon, Assistant General Manager with the Acadie Bathurst T10 and President and Governor with the Fredericton Red Wings. Roger, thanks for joining the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I'm glad to have you on. And, and you're one of those guests that uh, I've been monitoring for some time and, and had on a short list. And we can finally get the conversation going today. But um, let's dive right into it here. Maybe you can tell people a little bit about yourself, including your upbringing, where you're from and playing sports in your early years. Sure. I mean, I'm not uh, too complicated a person. I grew up in uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick, a uh, small community outside. And um, as far as sports go, I mean, I played every sport that I could possibly play. I wasn't much good at uh, some of them. Uh, I was a terrible soccer player and a terrible football player. But I, uh, I would have to say that probably my favorite sport of all was uh, fastball. Uh, I was a pitcher and... Uh, we uh, played at the national level many, many times uh, here representing New Brunswick and played a lot of uh, fastball all over the world. Uh, that was probably my most enjoyable part of my upbringing is being a fastball pitcher. Uh, played hockey up to the junior uh, level here in the city, and uh, that's about the extent of the hockey career. Uh, it wasn't a uh, stellar one, and it certainly didn't earn me any uh, it didn't earn me any major accolades, um, but uh, probably uh, 
like everybody else. Then I took up the great game of golf and then that became the, the passion. And now I, uh, now I could, uh, have, I could say that that probably is, uh, the most enjoyable sport, uh, of all, um, play it a lot and, and love golf and, you know, get to, uh, get to enjoy it. That really is great. And, uh, I, th- I think many people would agree that once you kind of get that that golf uh, introduction, it really becomes a sport that it seems like everybody enjoys. And I know in Newfoundland, uh, the weather doesn't always cooperate for that sport, but, um, you know, it's definitely enjoyable as well. But, you know, just listen to you talk about junior hockey and play all these different sports and the passion for sport was always there. But as you said, uh, maybe the accolades never came or, or the skill set wasn't there for one individual sport. So, uh, you kind of then turned your career into your schooling and you went to UMB. So maybe just talk about the decision to go there and then the decision to go into marketing and management, possibly with a, an influence on working in sport down the road. Yeah, I always uh, I always had a uh, business sort of uh, um, mind and uh, my career in uh, my career has been uh, one of uh, many different careers. I I don't know that I was able to settle down and stay put in any one uh, place. And at no point during my career have I ever had one job. I've always had uh, between two and three. And um, I guess I don't know what it would be like to have one job. Uh, But as a a young person, I mean, I started at UMB at 17 years old. I had a lot of little businesses growing up from lawn care companies to landscaping to just about anything that I could, you know, make extra money at. But I was fortunate enough to go to work for Labatt's and uh, spent my entire university days as the Labatt rep. Uh, That sort of uh, took me down a path of uh, really understanding the importance of networking and and how business actually connects and works. Uh, Business is nothing really that you learn in school. Um, You know, the degree that I have from UMB is great on paper. Uh, but uh, the reality of it is, is that 90% of the uh, 90% of what you learn, you learn out on the streets and you learn in meetings and you learn, you know, watching people interact and, and how business works. So, you know, obviously uh, I'm, uh, you know, I think astute enough to understand that uh, a university degree is important, but uh, it's not everything. The, the savviness is the most important part of um, certainly business. So, been part of a number of things. My business partner at the time, Andy Maybe, and I had a company called Adenhole, which we had a patent on a golf uh, advertising device, which would became kind of world known at the time in the early 90s. And just all of this was taking place in the midst of a uh, policing career. <coughs> I was in the RCMP and I was in British Columbia for a number of years and then back here with the Predicon Police for a number of years. And so after 25 years of policing and doing all the different jobs in between and having two and three things on the go, uh, I decided in 2012 that it was time to, you know, retire and go into uh, hockey full time. And that's obviously when I uh, that's obviously when I joined the, the you know, the Wildcat organization uh, for the next six years and, and spent you know my time there really uh, working in full time in hockey. But even then. You know, we had the uh, still had all the other things on the go at UMB and Prospects Hockey and and the V Reds and all that stuff. So, I I have to say that you know I'm 
quite content with, uh, you know, all the things that I've been part of over the years, but, uh, it would be interesting to, uh, slow down and, and see what it's like to, uh, maybe just concentrate on one thing if that's possible. Yeah. I think, uh, I think people in hockey kind of realize that, um, a lot of times you are working with multiple programs and, and whether that's the, uh, the insanity of the people within the game, I, I know I'm in the same situation working multiple positions, but, um, you know, you've been able to go through a lot of different careers and you, you talked briefly just there about UMB and some of these other programs, Moncton Wildcats, and we'll kind of go through each one. But the first one I want to talk about is your time with the Lewis and Maniacs. Just talk about getting into that program and then the task of running a team and, and working with a team in the U.S. Uh, in the QMJHL. Well, I think I owe, you know, uh, probably more to uh, Ed Harding, who was the uh, – head coach and GM of the Lewis Maniacs at the time than anybody because I was working with Bathurst as a regional scout uh, and and more, to be honest, just tinkering with the idea of scouting for like five years and uh, not ever feeling like I was playing a significant role. Um, Ed and I and Mark Howe and uh, different guys over the years, uh, we ran a hockey school in uh, Potsdam, New York, and uh, that's where, uh, you know, I first uh, first met Ed. And uh, then about three months later, he called me and asked if I'd be interested in coming on board with the Maniacs. Uh, and obviously, I was at Gene Chirello's wedding in uh, London, Ontario. I was the MC at the time. And uh, uh, when he called, and I remember it like yesterday, we were on the golf course. And I said yes right away. And then the next – and to me, that's how it all sort of started. I, I – I'm sure that I maybe would have found my way, uh, um, you know, but, you know, it's that crossroad right there. So I went and I uh, went down and uh, became, you know, the head scout. Uh, it was a great draft that year. I mean, so exciting to draft some of the players we did, like Michael Chaput and Etienne Brodeur and, and Zach Phillips and Garrett Clark. And we just had a great draft. And then, uh, unfortunately, that year, uh, the owner, uh, Mark Just, the, uh, the team was coming off, you know, the Memorial Cup, and uh, we were okay. Uh, we got through that first year, and then the second year, uh, we just, uh, you know, went on a, a bit of a losing run, and uh, the uh, owner decided that he was going to let Ed go. Uh, and uh, so I stepped in at that point and became the uh, guy running the team, and then from there, it just went, you know, it went like any other thing, and... Uh, we just kept rebuilding and man, it was a, what a team we had. Uh, we lost the semifinal to the sea dogs that year when the year they won the Memorial cup and everybody, and everybody on our team was a kid. They were all young. And, uh, the next year, uh, we were going to be like, no question. We were going to be the top team in the league. And, uh, we, uh, obviously, uh, things went south a little bit and, uh, the team dissolved. Um, after you know the news got out that we were moving to Boisbriand, uh, and then that fell through because of the owner in uh, in Verdun, and uh, then you know from there we um, we dissolved. They dissolved the team, and and uh, I was very fortunate at that point to sign right away with uh, Shawinigan, and then go out and get as many of the players from the Maniacs as we could, uh, and uh, as many guys as I could possibly bring to Shawinigan. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. Uh, obviously, um, 
winning the Memorial Cup has been the highlight, I think, of my uh, of my years. Um, I mean, we've won the national championship seven times at UMB, and I I can't take anything away from those. Those are incredible, but uh, to me, they did they not quite compare at this point to the Memorial Cup. And uh, you know, um, so I've been very fortunate to fall into some of the uh, the right places at the right time. Yeah, it's uh, you know seven seven national championships, and then being able to work in multiple QMJHL teams, it uh, it takes a lot of uh, you know connections, right place, right time, and and being willing to take on an opportunity. And you know, you, you quickly moved into that one with Shawinigan. Uh, maybe just continue to build on that. Talk about the process of joining that team, and then at the same time, maybe how the position was a little bit different. Uh, you know, being in a different market and a, a different organization. Yeah, I think I owe a lot uh, to uh, everybody that I've worked with over the years. And, you know, one of the questions is you talk about mentorship and people. Um, if there's any advice I could ever give a young person starting in this game is, is that take every opportunity you can to learn, but take every opportunity you can to work with people that have been successful or are successful. And when you're, and when you're with them, don't be a know-it-all in terms of like you already think you know that stuff. Be the guy who sponges it up and listens to them and actually takes it in because they didn't become successful on anything you did. They became successful on their own. And, um, you know, so don't don't go into a relationship thinking that you've got it all figured out and that you, you know, you're smarter than they are. And I think that's where that's where Martin Mondu in Shawinigan and myself uh, seem to click. And we really clicked. And to this day, I mean, spoke to him yesterday on the phone for 20 minutes. Uh, we, we've we never lost our friendship and never will because we clicked as, as people. And um, but we clicked in terms of being able to work together. Uh, we didn't care one little bit about anything other than the team and being successful and putting the best team together that we could. And uh, so we looked at each other's strengths and weaknesses and we looked at each other's uh, who do I have the ability to connect with and who do I have the ability to draw to the team and who does Martin have the ability to draw to the team. And, and so we really did a, a, you know, an interesting year together. Um, I think at the end of the day, the big, the big thing was for me in Shawinigan was convincing the ownership that uh, when you get a chance to host like this, there, you got to bring a whole new meaning to the words all in. And we brought that meaning to the words all in. We spared no, you know, we spared nothing in terms of going after and trying to put together the best possible team we could to host. And, you know, ironically, and a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, we lost out on some significant 20 year olds that year who were trying to come in to play. Uh, we had uh, Jane Schwartz, who we all, almost got. Uh, but because of just rules and the WHL and teams not willing, even though he was never going to play there, we couldn't pull that off. Um, we uh, we had Johnny Godreau on the hook that year, and uh, definitely he wanted to come. But uh, at the end of the day, his player agent made the decision, I think, for him, uh, and he didn't come. Um, you know, we had uh, we had a lot of guys. And we went to the we went to the Memorial Cup with only two 20 year olds. And that is I bet you that hasn't happened very often. And that was two 20 year olds that we, you know, because we didn't want to just bring any 20 year old in. 
uh, we wanted to either, you know, try and bring the best. And a lot of guys that we had, like, were 20-year-olds playing in the American League, and uh, their teams wouldn't give them up. And so, you know, we just didn't want to bring anybody. So it was an interesting sort of uh, part of things, uh, you know, um, like we had my, we, we owned Mike Matheson's rights that year and we couldn't convince Mike Matheson to come play for us. Like uh, there was a lot of players that sat on our list that would have maybe made that team even stronger. But when you win, it's easy to look back and say, you know, uh, well, we won anyway, but you never know when you put together a team, how things are going to go. Uh, and, you know, if you asked anybody in the rink last evening when we were down 3-1 and then down one by a goal with a minute to go that the Red Wings would come back and win in overtime, probably nobody would have took that bet. And in our case, uh, you know, with the uh, cataracts that year, when we got beat out in the, uh, you know, in the uh, second round, that's what caused us to win. Like, for me, that was the changing, that was the TSN turning point, so to speak. Uh, that's what gave us the time to prepare the players to heal and then to be, you know, our best. Eventually, we didn't start out great. We lost our first game because we hadn't played in a month. But, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. And to beat that London Knight team in the in the final in double overtime, half of those kids, like I say half, that's an exaggeration. Three of those kids on that team had played for me in the V-Red Prospects in uh, Europe. And uh, so when we went through the line, I knew them like Austin Watson and, and so on. And it was just, it was really something, you know, to, uh, to win that. And, and we have it. <laughs> Martin and I talked about the 10 year reunion yesterday. That's what our conversation was about, which is just crazy that we're talking about. And that's coming up next spring when the, when the Memorial cup is back in uh, probably back in Quebec somewhere. Yeah, that's it's incredible, and you know, like you said, it takes so many different things that have to go right to win a Memorial Cup, and uh, you know, even when you said you missed out on some some key players, which listeners will will definitely recognize, um, you know, you still have that that process in a team. Everybody has to be committed, and you have to go through some pretty strong teams to win a Memorial Cup, as everybody knows. We continue on the topic of winning, and uh, UMB, you know, has been uh, won a lot over the last number of years. Uh, maybe give some insight to your journey with that program as their GM and the difference um, in the position at the university level as opposed to junior hockey. Well, I think it's 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 suffice to say, you know, I have thought about that question before because a lot that's been asked of me before. But I think the biggest difference is, is that junior hockey is a seven days a week, 24 hours a day, active, changing every minute. Uh, never stops. Whereas the um, the college game is just a little more meticulous, a little more thought out, planned out. You know, you you recruit a player and you basically know you got him if you want for four to five years. Uh, you can look at where he's going to be in two years. You can really plan at the college level. Whereas in junior hockey, as much as you like to say, you know, you can plan and you can build a team there's variables that will happen in junior hockey. There's trades that you'll make and there's players that will arrive that were never part of your plan. And they'll either fall in your lap or you'll recognize, or there's players that during their career in junior, when you're putting your team together in junior uh, at seven, they're 17 years old and they're not even in the back of your mind. By the time they turn 19, they're a superstar in the league and nobody expected that. 
Um, so in junior hockey, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a never take your eye off the ball game where things are changing every single day and you really got to be uh, on top of that. You got to know who's, who those players are that are improving at that pace and so on. Whereas at the college hockey level, you've had an entire time to sit back and look at their career uh, in junior hockey and say, okay, I watched this guy from the time he was 17. Now he's 20. And okay. So now I think he fits in here. And in two years he can step into here and this is where he'll be in four years. It's a different, different game altogether. It's very, very uh, few games, as you know, 28 game schedule uh, versus, you know, 68. So, it's it's a 28 game schedule it, it's when you get into junior hockey and you start to realize just how few 28 games really is in a regular season and obviously everything we're talking about here is either post or pre or is COVID. nothing none of this stuff that we're talking about here is not is COVID related because with COVID, obviously the whole the whole game changes and so everything has changed for me. I mean, uh, in terms of how you manage and how you do things. But um, I think UMB really was probably, uh, for me, uh, the best foundation that I could possibly have ever gotten. Um, you know, working with Gardner and some of the different people at UMB over the years. But just everything from fundraiser to recruiter to administrator to you know letter writer i mean there's it was it's everything you know i did everything there um and i think the big thing was is that our v-red prospect program that uh, you know started way back in 2001 um was a uh, just an idea uh one day i was sitting at the computer and uh, we were working with another program here in atlantic canada and and uh, that wasn't going very well and just came up with the name and told the guy, I said, Oh yeah, we're starting a new program here. We hadn't, we weren't. And I said, and then I called Gardner and said, Gardner, I'm starting the kids program and uh, you're going to be part of it. And we're going to call it the prospects. And uh, we're going to, we're going to use this prospect program to develop kids here in the local market. And we, we were thinking just Fredericton at the time, and then it became New Brunswick and then it became Atlantic Canada and then it became kids from all over the world. I mean, you know, from Gabrielle Landeskog all the way down to like kids in California and everywhere. Uh, and, you know, we we just morphed into a program where everything we did just seemed to be working. And then every, all the funds and everything we generated for all those years, we put right back into the hockey team. And it does take funds. And, you know, in order to build a uh, successful program we wanted our team at umb to look the best and feel the best and play the best so we gave them the best of everything and and the kids program played a significant role in the support of that and uh you know over the years we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this program uh of which you know now is a has a great foundation and you know i mean obviously we'll carry on hopefully for many more years and and when you look at any kind of a hockey program has been around 115 years, there's a lot of legacy and a lot of history there, but uh, the, the legacy in the two, in the, you know, in the 21st century of the uh, UMB hockey team is second to none. I mean, maybe a hundred years from now, they'll look back and say, you know, in the, you know, in the first 20 years of this century, UMB dominated, maybe it'll be a different program, you know, in, 40 years, but uh, it's uh, certainly owned the uh, it's owned the market for the past 20 years. And and so I think it, it just provided a lot and being in junior hockey, Ryan, it uh, 
it allowed me to really handpick as well a lot of what I considered the best possible college players. And then Gardner and his group would go out and recruit them and get them in. And next thing you know, they're successful. The Malays, Hallays, you name it, all these good players that have been part of the UMB program over the years that have come from the Quebec League. We've had some tremendous uh We've we've had tremendous success at UMB by drawing on the Quebec League. Yes, lots of good players from the other two leagues. But if you do look at our success, you'll see that, I mean, there was a time where we won a national championship with eight New Brunswick kids on it. So that's that to me is probably the most satisfying thing in uh, the, all the years is that we were able to win a lot with local kids. And so nobody can complain and say, you know, it's a team of kids from somewhere else. It's there's a lot of local kids that have played at UMB in the last 20 years and been a big part of the team. Yeah. When you can bring the local uh, kids and get that support, I, I think it's uh, it's really key. But uh, as you said, you know, the program was able, you were able to learn so many different things and, and work on, you know, administrative work and recruiting and, and fundraising and all these different things that go into a program. And um, that's kind of what you have to do when you're in a management role and, and in that field. But Moving back into scouting and and hockey operations uh, on that side, with the Moncton Wildcats, you had a pretty successful tenure there working as a director of scouting. Um, Talk about uh, the reason for going to Moncton and and how that worked out, and then uh, maybe a little more in-depth on your role with the team. Well, it started out as a director of scouting for a year, and then I became the director of hockey operations for the rest of it. and I hired Darren Rumble, uh, who we'd worked together in, in Lewiston together. Uh, Rums and I worked well together. And I mean, we've been, we were friends a long time. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, I, ha- I have to say that, you know, you know, I'm probably get into this a little later, but we had a lot of resources to work with in Moncton, uh, more than I was sort of used to in different organizations. So that helped, uh, that, that helps, um, to some degree, it's not everything. Um, I don't believe that you can buy, you know, you can buy a team, uh, just by throwing money and resources at it. You've, you've got to still have the right, uh, mix and Moncton's been successful as an organization. Um, you know, I think we worked hard, uh, to build the team that was there last year from the from the ground up. Um, if you'll recall, I mean, we were the worst team in Canada on purpose. We traded uh, 13 players at the Christmas trading period uh, one year, and I remember being in Boston making all those trades because down there on a scouting trip and uh, making the trades over the phone. And and to move 13 players in, in one trading period uh, is – craziest thing ever because just the logistics of trading a hockey player is much in more in depth than people understand everything from their travel to their billets to their tickets to their you know everything that goes with it and um, you're uprooting it's like moving a family you know you're moving a family well we know how much work that is and so to move that many players at Christmas and to get all the picks that we got and then to rebuild the team as quickly as we did and then to uh, go to the lottery and uh lose the lottery uh that year um was uh what i thought was like a just a crazy kick in the stomach it was the first year of the lottery and you might know uh we lost it um the worst we could do is third and we got and we went to three and um i thought wow but then it started to kind of come together a little bit and i gotta tell you like 
probably drafted probably one of the, the best young men I've ever been part of in hockey. And that's Jake Pelche. And, uh, uh, Jacob was, uh, we took him third and it's, it's, it's crazy in hindsight to look back now, but if we had picked first, we would have took Alexei Lafreniere, uh, and we picked third and we got the best junior hockey deal of anybody by getting Jacob Pelche. And so, you know, not only did he turn out to be a superstar, but he also played the extra year in the league, which allowed, you know, Moncton to get more assets out of him and, and so on. But last year's team in Moncton was the team. Uh, and uh, no question, I, I think they would have competed for Memorial Cup last year. Um, and maybe they would have got their Memorial Cup ring, which is what they've been striving to get in, uh, in Moncton. Uh, that's the dream of the Moncton fans and of, of uh, certainly the Moncton organization, like any team. But right now, they're the only team in New Brunswick that hasn't got one. Uh, Bathurst has got one, and uh, St. John have have one. So uh, you know, um, and Halifax has one. So you know, they just they want they want that bad. And uh, last year, I think was the year, and COVID was just uh, you know it it obviously took the wind right out of their sails, but they had an incredible team there last year. And the foundation with Havanoff and Pelche and McKenna and Sear and all those guys was there for them to add, you know, Gru and McIsaac and Forche. And, you know, they just, they had some hockey team and uh, it's a shame that it worked out, but it was good to work for uh, the Wildcats. I mean, I, I uh, you know, it was a big part of my life at the time. A lot of travel, a lot of work, a lot of trips around the world. Uh, saw a lot of cities, you know, and, uh, certainly saw Europe, uh, you know, a lot. And, uh, a lot of that comes from just being fortunate enough to be with an organization that had the resources to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think every organization has to, to deal with different things and Moncton is definitely a team with a lot of resources as you touched on, but, um, you know, great to hear that you had a positive experience. Were able to go in and and you know take on the scouting role and hockey operations role eventually, and just be involved in so many different aspects of the team. And it's it's funny how things work out. Like you said, getting Jacob Peltier at third overall and and getting that extra year of uh, of junior hockey out of him. And um, again, just crazy how things work out. And for you personally in your career, now you find yourself with the T ten still in New Brunswick, but with another organization uh, this time as assistant general manager. Um, again, walk us through the process of, of joining that organization and uh, some of the things you deal with on a daily basis, this time with a, with a smaller organization, but uh, maybe with the same kind of uh, setup and responsibility. Well, I mean, I'm back where I started, right? Um, that's how I got my start, and that's why I owe probably all of this to Sylvain Couturier for giving me my start. He's He's slightly younger than I am, uh, but uh, we were friends and I coached Sean. Sean was a big part of our 92B red team. And uh, Sean and Sly, so Sly's first year, he asked me if I wanted to be part of it. And I said, yes. And he was young. And I mean, he was just starting there. It's hard to believe that he's been there 20 years, but, uh, um, and he's just, a, you know, one of the, probably one of the top five people in the world I've ever met. And he <clears throat> he brought me in, and, and we just started working together. And and then when I had that chance to go as the head scout for Lewiston, he was the first guy to push me out the door and say, "You have to do this." 
Uh, and then what goes around comes around because the day that I left Moncton, April 16th, 2018, uh, I, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was driving back to Fredericton and uh, I said, to, you know, the first thing I'm going to do came to my mind is I always wanted to start a hockey team. And uh, I've started many hockey teams, but not junior hockey teams. And uh, I said, uh, that was my first thing. I thought, I'm going to try and do this. And then I got a call from Sylvain and he said, listen, he says, I know you're under contract, but he said, would, and that's up. He said, would you like to, you know, get back together and work together again? And I said, consider it done. Like I didn't even hesitate. I had a few offers to go other places, but I just said no. Um, and uh, so I immediately said, yep, that's where I want to be. And uh, so we started sort of, just working together and, uh, you know, started working on the draft and Kidney and Hawkins came in and that was the first two. And then after that, and next thing you know, you know, we've got this thing coming together and if we're smart and we don't get to try and get to extend it and extend ourselves too far uh, and move too quickly, uh, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be right there again, I'd say. Enjoy, enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I just like, but I, I have no interest in being the, like a bigger role. Like I just, I don't have the energy and the time right now to ever consider a bigger role. Uh, I've got some plans and some ideas that I'm working on and, uh, um, I'm, so I'm very happy. Sylvan's the man, he runs the team and I'm more just there as a, uh, uh, a friend to him and, and, uh, help guide him through. And, and, you know, whenever he needs a, a favor, um, I'm here. And obviously we've made some significant trades, him and I, we were two big traders in hockey. Anyway, they used to make fun of us actually, but I don't know of any two people that have traded more, made more trades in junior hockey than Sylvan and I combined. Um, uh, and, uh, but we've made some really good ones, I think with Bathurst, with Melanson and, Ben Allison and Bellamy and just some, we've, we've picked up some really good players lately. So uh, I like our team. I like where we're headed and um, you know, we're still a year away, year and a half, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. It's, it's a gradual process and, and everybody knows it's kind of a unique situation, obviously with COVID seasons and, and the way things were going, but um, the QMJHL was able to have a season and, and kind of work, uh, you know, continue that progression and, uh, before you talked about the, that team, you, you kind of hinted at uh, the thought of maybe starting an organization, junior hockey, and I, I kind of think that maybe led to the Fredericton Red Wings and your position as president and, and governor. So talk about that organization and then the process of being involved with an expansion team here in the last little while. Well, I mean, the Fredericton Red Wings started on April 16, 2018. That was the day that uh, I was let go from the Moncton Wildcats when I was in Mr. Irving's office. And that was the day that I had made the decision that I was going to do that. Uh, but I had no idea what that meant. I grew up just loving the Red Wings. And I mean, as a young kid here in Fredericton, um, I was a rink rat. And uh, I spent a lot of time watching, you know, the Fredericton Red Wings, Hallahan, maybe Grant, uh, all of me, all the different guys, you know, and um, Alibi, like I could go on and on about all the different players. Right. So when I said, you know, to myself, there's going to be a, I want to bring a junior team here to the city. Uh, 
I had already tried a couple times to bring the Lewis to Maniacs, as people may or may not know, to Fredericton. And uh, that didn't work out. And a lot of that had to do with the power of UMB and the strength. And it was the only rink. And there was no getting through the UMB wall uh, to, build, <laughs> to bring a junior team. And uh, I, I understand that because, you know, they were the, ga the only game in town. So they had a monopoly on the market. Uh, and they spent a lot of years not having a monopoly on the market, right? I mean, when the American Hockey League was here with the Express and the Canadians, uh, you know, they were the teams. And so to bring a junior team here, I knew that UMB would be a challenge. So went outside the box a little bit and started thinking about it. And then just once I started putting it together, there was never any question about the name of the team ever. Um because of so much history here. I mean, Pete Kelly won two Stanley Cups. He's from Fredericton and he, they were with the Red Wings. I mean, Danny Grant was with the Red Wings. He scored 50 goals. There's way too many Red Wing ties. So I got in touch with Mark Howe and who was a, a friend and uh, he helped me through the process and we get through all the legal process in order to use the Red Wing name. We're probably one of the few teams that ever got permission, but uh, we did and uh, the logo and all that stuff. And so, um, then the name the name was born and then we just had to have a team and then St. Stephen obviously were looking to sell their franchise and so we were fortunate enough to buy that you know from the Horn family and uh, um, then I had a team and then I had a franchise and then I had to find money <laughs> so uh, I have to uh, you know say that if not for my friends in Florida you know uh, George Mitchell and Gordy Zimmerman and then all the different people that have played a role in it. I mean, there's 11 of us that own, own the organization, some small. My son is an, is an owner, uh, you know, uh, Brian Johnson here in Fredericton, Mark Walton, who's with IMAX, he's an owner. We've got some great owners, Peter Henry, uh, Jonathan Henry was my equipment manager in Moncton and uh, probably one of the best, you know, Down syndrome athletes in the world and one of the best people I know in the world. And uh, Jonathan became one of the owners. It's something he always wanted to do. So, you know, he he's a part owner of the team and uh, uh, as, almost as proud of the, as the Red Wings as the Wildcats. And I keep saying to him, I said, you own the Red Wings, Jonathan. You don't own the Wildcats. You've got to be more of a Red Wing fan than a Wildcat fan. But he's he's not changing. He's a he's a Wildcat first, Red Wing second. And I, I can respect that. Uh, he loves his Wildcats. But um, so then we just, you know, then it's just a pile of work. And, and uh, then it just was a pile of work. I mean, it's just all the work had to be done. And We've done what we could do. That first year was incredible, uh, you know, and then it just came to an abrupt halt with uh, COVID. And um, but some of the nights like we had the indigenous night and we had Danny Grant night and some of the things, some of the promotions and marketing that we've done. We bought two huge screens for the rank. And and uh, I mean, I can't even explain, you know, uh, we had six jersey nights the first year where we had six different beautiful sets of jerseys made up and auctioned off. They're all over the place now. You see them at games. And, um, you know, we we just did just had a great first year. Um, and I think the great first years allowed us to, to survive through the second year. Uh, but I will say that I don't think junior hockey can handle another year of this. Uh, if the, if the great minds in charge of this, uh, the scientists and, and politicians, uh, can't figure out a way to, to get us back to normal, 
I think the real the real tragedy in all of this will be the third year of COVID, not the first two years of COVID. Um, and so, you know, I, I really believe we need to find a way to get things open back up and get people out living again, uh, because it's starting to take a toll on people. And, uh, you know, um, our chief medical officer for the, uh, for the league said something kind of, uh, you know, prolific the other day, he said, uh, people don't understand that the maritime league keeping going is more about uh, is bigger than hockey. It's it's about engaging these young people in something to do. And you know what? Like it's kind of struck me to to realize like we've done more of a favor for you know some of the kids that are playing on this hockey team than we realize just by giving them some purpose rather than sitting around. And unfortunately, ninety nine percent of the kids that love the game of hockey are have been sitting around all winter and or are sitting around right now i mean we had a hockey combine lined up in two weeks our next weekend actually um for all of atlantic canada and it was full here the prospects was putting it on for all the mhl and, and qmjhl scouts and of course the borders aren't open so we had to postpone it like just it's constant like there's no you 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 can't plan anything right now Everything you plan is just, you're setting yourself up almost. It's like, it's almost like setting yourself up for failure. Uh, but, and the worst of it is we've become a society where we actually accept it. You know, we're accepting it. Oh, it's COVID you move on, you know? And uh, so anyway, um, that's obviously uh, a long version of how the Red Wings started and, and so on, but it, it's no more complicated than that. Just, deciding I wanted to bring a team to Fredericton. I wanted to name it the Red Wings. And then I had to go find a team and then find the funds and try to figure out how to do it. And uh, then, and then the next step was to survive. And so everything we've done has been abnormal. There hasn't been anything normal yet about this process. You know, it's, you know, we don't know what the future holds. It's, uh, you know, but I hope that there's some normal in it someday. Yeah, I hope so as well. And, um, you know, regardless of the tough situation that we face, it's it's good that you're able to kind of move forward with your plan and, and bring that organization to Fredericton and, and kind of make your way through the, the first couple seasons. And uh, definitely the experience that you had leading up to that uh, played a part and then also the connections. And uh, speaking of the connections and people in the game that you're able to meet, a lot of times they play a, a role in, in helping you move forward. And the people at my hockey resource think this is uh, true for many people. So they've created a platform to allow uh, various people within the game to connect, whether they're coaches, managers, or just fans of the game. So for anybody looking to connect with others in the hockey industry, be sure to check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Roger, one of the things that they talk about on that platform is specific resources that they uh, like to learn from, whether it's books, podcasts, um, conferences, all these different things. For you personally, what are some of your favorites that you can maybe recommend to uh, to people who are listening to the podcast today? I think the uh, Roger Nielsen Clinic has always been a very big one. Uh, I know Gardner McDougall has spoken at that a number of times. I think that's a great clinic if people are interested. Um, if you want to read some books uh, and you want to build a culture within your hockey team, it's something that I've uh, really pushed. And the Fredericton Red Wings have... Um, 
gotten accolades when they leave other people's arenas, uh, but from the rink staff saying it's the cleanest uh, uh, they've ever seen the dressing room left. Well, that comes directly from uh, a, a book, uh, a culture uh, with the, uh, you know, the All Blacks uh, Rugby Club. Um, Legacy is an awesome book for people. If you haven't ever read the book Legacy, uh, and it's the story of the uh, New Zealand All Blacks, uh, then I think that's something that uh, every person should read because if you're trying to build a proper culture, um, when we leave a rink, uh, when the Red Wings leave a rink, we mop the floor and sweep the sheds and then uh, we leave the dressing room better than we found it. Uh, and it's really about leaving the jersey better than you found it. And uh, for me, it's it's just a simple concept that if you can build it into your organization, it was something we started with the Wildcats Um and we carried the mops and the buckets right on the bus with us. And uh, when we left a rink, we swept the sheds and, and left it cleaner than we found it. And you know what? Like it's, uh, uh, it may seem insignificant, but when somebody walks into a dressing room after a team leaves and it's trashed or it's dirty, uh, it's an impression no matter how you cut it. But it's their job to clean it. And that's the job they chose. But when you walk into a dressing room and it's cleaner than when you uh, gave the dressing room over to the team, that gets talked about. That That's like you have instant respect for, for that organization. So those are just a couple of things, I mean, that I say. I mean, I'm not I'm not as big a resourceful guy uh, as, you know, uh, some others guys are. The one guy that I've taken a lot of training from and I've read a lot of his books, everything. And I, I, the guy I try to follow the most is a guy by the name of Robin Sharma. And uh, you can't go wrong uh, if you study and listen to what Robin Sharma has to say. Uh, believe it or not, he's a, a well-known, uh, you know, uh, leadership expert that comes from uh, Antigonish, Nova Scotia. And uh, he became a, a you know, a, Toronto lawyer and then became a leading expert and it's uh, he's a guy that probably is probably one of the smartest people I've ever met and uh, so he's a great great resource for people trying to build the right culture and right type of organization. Yeah, a number of great uh, suggestions there, as as people always suggest on the podcast. And Legacy is definitely a book that has come up uh, once or twice and. Um, I think it's a, a great resource for people who are looking to uh, just get better as an organization and that common goal. But another thing I want to ask you here, I know we're we're closing in on time, but uh, you've had some mentors and people throughout your career who have helped you and kind of taught you lessons uh, even up until today. So uh, maybe just go back over some of those names and, and just give them another mention uh, for the impact they've had on your career. Well, I think obviously Sylvain has played uh, a, a significant role. He helped get me started uh, and then he's helped me along the way. And then he's now we're back at it again. So almost 20 years, well, 20 years later, we're back at it. And so I'd have to give Sylvain Couturier a, a, a shout out for sure. Um, you know, he, he's uh, he's just a genuine person. Um, Gardner, obviously, I mean, you don't spend 20 years with somebody right beside him. Uh, without learning from them. And and I think the biggest thing you learn from somebody like Gardner McDougall is uh, that you just learn, like, here's here's the thing, uh, best sums up Gardner. Um, people are jealous of Gardner because he wins. Uh, people look for all the reasons why he wins, and they try to find fault possibly in 
you know, some things that are just not there. Uh, and they say, well, he wins because of this or whatever. But here's here's the in a nutshell. He wins because he absolutely outworks the competition uh, 24 hours a day. And so nobody in hockey could possibly work harder than him. It's impossible. And so that being said, he just he taught me for sure. And I, I don't know that your work ethic comes from somebody else. I think a lot of it's inherent, but he taught me that hard work and that is going to someday pay off. And when we first started and lost our first national championship in double overtime to St. Evex in 2004, we thought the world had ended on home ice. And Harry Sterling said to me in the dressing room when it, we couldn't have been any further down. And he said, I'm telling you from what I've watched. And he was an assistant coach at the time, an older gentleman. And uh, he said, you two, you'll be fine. You will get your first one and then you'll get many more after that. And of course, you just like, oh, yeah, that doesn't it doesn't make you feel any better sort of at the time. But now I look back at it and say, well, he's right. Then he's right because as long as you keep working that insatiable work ethic at something, it's the old story of is you know as if it is to be, it's up to me, and it's it's not selfish. But ninety nine percent of the things you accomplish in life, you accomplish because of the simple fact that you work for it and you don't give up till you get it. And that's how good hockey players that aren't superstars like Sidney Crosby and they work hard. Don't get me wrong, but. 90% of hockey players weren't given the God-given talent to just make it based on talent. They had to work at it. So when I look at a Zach McEwen or a Connor Garland or some of the kids that I've been part of over the years, and I look at their success, it's because they had that never give up attitude, work, 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 work. So that's probably the, you know, the, I mean, there's other guys along the way and I'm sure I'm missing, you know, the Martin Mondews and Ed Hardings and some of the different people and, George Mitchell and some of the people that I've been involved with over the years. I mean, there's been no end to it, but uh, um, I'd have to say those would kind of be the main guys. With that question, I think there there never is a cutoff list. I mean, whether it's uh, mentors or, or people you've worked with in the game as peers, it's uh, there's always people to learn from and always willing to, to share information. And you kind of gave the advice there about uh, just being the hardest working person and making sure you outwork the competition and whether you're a player or a manager or scout, um, I think it applies to all of them. So it's, it's really great advice to live by as well. And uh, with that, Roger, I, uh, I just want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and, and learning about your experiences and hopefully uh, things continue to go well for you and, and Fredericton and, here in the near future, hopefully COVID's no more and you can get back to doing things uh, the proper way and long into the future. Thanks, Ryan. I hope that's the same for everybody, to be honest. I, the world deserves to get back to normal. We really appreciate maybe what normal was. So Yeah, I think so yeah. as well. But yeah. hopefully we can get back there sooner rather than later. So thanks, thanks again and, and take care. Okay, thanks, Ryan. for the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, 
and Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada, and for those listeners in Canada, and I know there's a lot of you, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Everybody has had that experience where the trimming has not gone right, and we want to change that. So get with Manscaped, who has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and when I tell you this is premium, this is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave, and the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Throw in one of the coolest features, which is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming experience. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quad stroke technology, and let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud, because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB, and if you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HockeyMinds at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the code HockeyMinds. It's time to shave those balls, eh? I'd like to again thank Roger for joining me on the podcast to talk in depth about his career in the game. As you could tell from his stories and multiple people that he's interacted with, he has experienced a lot of highs and lows, exemplifying the roller coaster ride that is junior hockey, and he gave listeners a great perspective on management within those junior ranks. If you would like to get in touch with Roger to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Danny Heath, founder of Project Hockey. Armed with his own playing and coaching experience, Danny has worked to grow the game and implement unique development opportunities from the grassroots level up with an NHL and pro-level influence, so listen in to hear his perspectives on the game. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today and continuing to support the podcast on social media and all levels as we push to grow the brand and share the stories of all those involved. As always, stay safe and all the best.